John, John chapter 17. And I read from the beginning of the chapter. <coughs> John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And then we read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John, John is towards the end of the New Testament, just before Jude and Revelation. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we thank you for it. 
And as we look at it just now, we pray that you would bless us enable, and enable us to understand it and to apply it. Lord, we ask that you would grant us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to understand, wills to obey, hearts to love, that any who do not know you would be drawn to you, and those of us who do know you, that we would be renewed and encouraged, that we would not be distracted by all the wiles of the evil one. Lord, we seek your glory. Pour out your Spirit upon us. We pray for our friends and family. We pray for those of our fellowship who are not able to be here this morning. Pray for those who are ill. We pray, O oh Lord, for uh, those who have grown cold in their love for you and their love for your people, and ask that you would restore them. And we pray for the many people we know who do not know you, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out, that people may come to know you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to uh, look at these verses in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Um, we are having communion today, and we're going to look at that, the, these verses in that context. Um, it's, you can say a, a lot, tell a lot about people by their dreams, I think. I had the weirdest dream last night, and I don't want to give Brian a heart attack, but I dreamt that I was at a Roman Catholic mass, okay? and that I'd been asked to preach. But, figure this one out, every time I tried to preach, I couldn't get past the opening joke about the English invading Scotland. So, I wasn't able to preach at this Mass. And I woke up this morning, it was a very real and a very vivid dream, and I was thinking, what is going on here? And you kind of realize that if you, if you actually went to the dreaded Facebook and looked, you'll see that Annabelle's posted a photograph of me being blessed by the Pope. Um, I was almost tempted to put it up on the screen. Uh, for one moment, one of my colleagues actually thought that that was actually happening, but it was Madame Tussauds. Uh, it was uh, you know, the wax museum and so on. So I, I got up this morning and was tired and lost the hour's sleep and just thinking of all that we were going to look at and praying about what we were going to say and realizing how confusing communion is for people and how confusing the church is for so many people in the culture in which we live. It's confusing for those who are out with the church, but it's confusing as well because people within the church kind of shoot off in all different directions. If only we could all agree, if only we could all act and work together. But even here this morning, we've come together for uh, perhaps we have all kind of different ideas. And I love what the church of Jesus Christ is and what it does because there's a unity that is focused on the Word of God and is focused on the person of Jesus Christ, and the communion celebrates that and connects us with that. It's uh, one of the things, I think, why it's important. I mean, there's so many Christians, we're very bitty. We're kind of, yeah, I think I'll do this if I feel like it. And especially in a society where we've lost the whole idea of the Lord's Day, where we say, yeah, I think I'll go. No, maybe I won't go. I've got a lot to do. I've got different things. And that whole idea of the Christian community, we were talking about it in the membership class, that you get Christians who very glibly say, yeah, um, I, I don't need to tithe because I just give. Everything belongs to the Lord. Or I don't need a special day of worship because every day is a day of worship. 
or I don't need a special time for prayer because I can pray all the time. And whilst I don't need to belong to a particular church because I belong to the church of Jesus Christ, and whilst all that contains an element of truth and sounds very spiritual, in reality it's guff. It's just people just saying, justifying their own sin, I think, by sounding spiritual. Because if anyone says that, I would just simply say, do you pray all the time? Do you serve your fellow believers all the time? Do you share everything that you have? Not really. No, we don't. And I think that uh, what we look at this morning is, is a challenge for us in that respect. Also in this way, uh, many people want to say that we go back to, we want to go back to, Old to, to New Testament Christianity, the church in the New Testament. The church in the New Testament was based in a society that was materialistic, sexually promiscuous, morally confused, economically unjust, dominated by rich elites with an erosion of democracy, which is where we're at in the 21st century. And we have to be the church in that context again. And there's a, there's, a, there's a radicalness about that. And here, the radicalness is in terms just simply of the question that you get asked, that I am asked, and when we take communion, that you will be asked. It's just simply this, who do you love? We say you can sit at the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member in this church. You can belong to another church. You can be a, as long as you are a Christian who loves the Lord? Who do you love? Do not love the world or anything in the world. So let's look at this, these verses then in that, uh, in that light. And first of all, we're going to look at the cosmos because that's the, wor the word that is for the world, the word cosmos. It's used nine times in these three verses alone. It's used 23 times in all of this small letter, so it's worth getting it right. Now, for some people, it's very confusing because here you have the letter of John, John saying, don't love the world, and then you have in the gospel of John, John 3.16, saying, God loved the world. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And people see a contradiction. Well, the word world is used in different ways in different contexts in the Bible. For example, Psalm 24 and verse 1 says the world belongs to the Lord, and that's speaking to the, to the natural world. And when we read here, don't love the world or anything in the world, then we have to be careful that we understand what that actually means, because there have been so many misunderstandings on this issue. Some people think it's family. Some people think it's society and culture. In Christian terms, quite often, and in evangelical terms, it's seen as taboos from other ages. I love the story of the family in Northern Ireland who ordered a television set, and when it arrived, the box on the outside said, brings the world into your home, and so they sent it packing. And we're not having the world brought into our home. That's the world. And there's, we, we talk about worldliness. Um, dancing is worldliness. You know, you can tell that the free church is going downhill because those of you who were at the youth conference last week, and you got on great, 
uh, so I'm hearing, but you had a Kaylee, you were dancing. Well, people say that's worldliness. It's, it, it, it was, it's, it's not right. Um, sometimes these things vary in terms of cultures and so on. I, I remember being at a youth hostel in Rasse with a brethren man who was absolutely astonished that we weren't allowed to hang out washing on the Sunday in this uh, island of uh, the island of Skye. But uh, he couldn't get over the fact that people were sitting puffing away. The Christians were sitting smoking like chimneys. So for him, smoking was worldliness. For them, hanging out washing on a Sunday was worldliness. And it, it, people get very confused about what is being worldly. It's not, it's not those things. It's not asceticism or monasticism. The idea that we retreat from the world. John Stott has a wonderful phrase where he talks about rabbit hole Christians who come out of our burrow every now and then before we scoot from one burrow to another. We just, we're, we're, we're rabbit hole Christians. And that's not what worldliness is or the, the, what the opposite of worldliness is. So what is it? Well, in this context, it is the disposition, the outlook, the frame of mind, the anti-God mentality, self, sin, rebellious, and spiritual ignorance. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. That is, the world in rebellion against God does not know that we belong to God. And it does not know that because it does not know Him. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. And what John is doing there is he's playing the different things. He's saying the whole world, the natural world, and the, the world of mankind, all created through God, but there is that world that is in rebellion against God, and so it refuses to acknowledge and to know Him. And then 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, that's a very important verse because, and to understand it, it is not saying that everything on earth is dominated and controlled by the devil. But it is saying that there are two kingdoms, and one is the kingdom of the children of God, the kingdom of God, and the other is the kingdom of the world, which is the world in rebellion against God. So, the idea, what is John is saying here is, you don't love the world or anything in the world. You don't love that rebellion against God. You don't love anything in that world which is in rebellion against God, which is anti-God, self-centered, sin, rebellious, spiritual ignorance. And when we come to sit at the Lord's table, what we are saying is we don't love that world. We love Jesus, and we love his world. Now, a lot of Christians are immediately going to say, I don't love the world. Of course not. I'm a Christian. Now, why am I going to love being in rebellion against God? Well, the world is more subtle than you or I realize. It is very, very easy for us to say, we love Jesus, and yet at the same time, to have a love for the world that is in rebellion against Him. Sometimes that world that is in rebellion against God is very attractive. It attracts and ensnares. We are sometimes like 
the bees that are drawn to the honey that's at the bottom of the jam jar full of water. They're attracted by the sweetness. They don't see how it drowns and how it chokes them. So, in understanding this, these verses and understanding what we're talking about, we're saying this is what the world is. It's the world that's in rebellion against God. And John is writing to Christians, and he's saying, don't fall for that world. Don't love that world. He shows then how we do it. This is how we love the world, and this maybe helps us uh, realize. There are three things. He says, uh, anything in the world, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. There is a contrast here with Eve in Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. So, to love the world is, first of all, to have these cravings. Not um, if you are pregnant. Uh, sometimes people will talk about getting a craving, a craving for bananas or coal or, or something, just a craving that you want to eat something in particular. It's not that. It's craving in the sense of gratification of our appetites. It's, and this is hard for us in our culture as well, because we are so used to a culture which says, if you have a craving, satisfy it. You know, if you're hungry, go and get some food. If you um, have a, a sexual desire, go and get it fulfilled. The cravings, the gratification of our appetites, our appetites could be lots of things, um, sexual, gluttony, moodiness, tiredness, our desire to protect ourselves, hunger and thirst. We are things which, in a, in a sense, are not necessarily always wrong. They can become cravings. They can become obsessions for us. They can become the things that are most important for us. I don't know if you've ever done fasting, but if you fast for a period of time, you kind of reach a point where it almost becomes pointless because you're about 18 hours into the fast, and all you can think about is food. You know, you really, if, if some of you who've fasted, you know what that's like. You've got to get over that stage where you're, still, you're, you know, you're wanting to pray, and there's images of, you know, chips or chocolate buns or something coming into your head, and you, you have to stay out of the kitchen, absolutely. And you have to, and you, you, you just become it's not the purpose of the fast. You don't want to be thinking about food all the time. That's the point, is to take you on to thinking about something else. But a lot of us, in terms of our spiritual walk, we, we talk about God. We like the idea of God. We like the idea of being spiritual. But we just get so distracted so quickly because of our cravings. The lust of His eyes, the strong desire for, for what is seen, uh, Joshua 7.21, Achan uh, said this to Joshua after admitting he'd stolen the plunder. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. It was uh, a temptation because he saw something and wanted it. Or the story of Joseph, Potiphar's wife. Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, 
come to bed with me. I, I see it. I see him. I see her. Though maybe it is probably better in describing the attitude involved. I want it. I want him. I want her. This lust of the eyes is a loving of beauty that's divorced from the love of goodness. It's the breach of the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. And in the world, that takes us away from God and from the love of the Father. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And I don't think that we realize just how insidious and dangerous that is in our lives. There are beautiful things, and there are lovely things, and it's not wrong to love that beauty and to appreciate that beauty, or perhaps it's not wrong to even desire that beauty, but it is to desire it for itself. It is to desire it out with the context of God. Um, you will sometimes get people who say, well, you should be a Christian because God is a great Father, He's a gracious Father, and uh, what He will do is He'll provide us with what you need. And they see God as a means of obtaining what they really, really want. But John says to us as we sit at the Lord's table, where's your heart? What are you looking for? He's reflecting the teaching of Jesus Christ, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And Jesus uses that order of words deliberately. He could have said, where your heart is, there your treasure is. You could say, I've got this beautiful house, I've got all this stuff, but I really love Jesus. But Jesus says, no, where your treasure is, there your heart is. What do we desire? What do we want? We're not to love the world. Now, those first two are what we feel when we want something. The third is what we feel when we have it, the boasting of what He has and does. In uh, Mark chapter 12, let me, this may seem a strange verse uh, to re refer to in this. Mark chapter 12 and verse 41 Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. Now, what's that got to do with this boasting of what he has and does? Well, he uses an expression in terms of boasting which carries the idea of the, the pride of life. It's a word bios. You get the term biology and so on. And in Mark's gospel, the same word is used. The woman put her pennies into the temple coffers, and Jesus says she put in her bios, she put in all that she had. She put in her life. And he's saying that, and John is saying, that there are people who boast of what they have and do. They boast of their bios. They, they, they have an empty pride. Their life consists of status symbols. They are braggarts. They are pretentious. They are ostentatious. 
They're shallow. The, the love of the world is superficial. The boasting of what we have and do, that's shallow. And that's what our, so much of our culture is. And Jesus says this woman came and the little that she had, she gave it to God. But here there are people who say, I don't need God. I don't want God. Why should I serve God? Look who I am. Look what I've got. And it's almost pathetic in its materialism and its, and its pride and boastfulness. The beginning of verse 16 tells us that everything in the world is affected by this. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's a totality about that. That's interesting, by the way, as well, because there is a philosophy that says everything comes from God, including the boastfulness and the sin and the pride and the greed. But that's not from God. John says that does not come from God. So when we sit at the Lord's table, what we're doing is we're rejecting that lust, that craving, that boasting, and we're accepting the love of the Father. Now, he then gives us reasons why we shouldn't accept the world, why we shouldn't love the way. First of all, it's passing away. That's why materialism is such a stupid philosophy. We brought nothing into this world. We'll take nothing out of it. You think how crazy it is that we spend our lives working for things that cannot survive, things that we cannot take with us. We shouldn't love the world because the world in that sense, in rebellion against God, is passing away. The world in that sense is only temporary. Secondly, it's incompatible with the love of the Father. James 4 verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't play both sides. Well, you can. You can try, but it doesn't work. Notice this is written to Christians, not to those who are not yet believers. And what it's really saying to us is sanctification, being made holy, being like God, is not automatic. It is difficult for us to live in a world which is so anti-God and to live as believers. I got an email from someone who's just very recently become a Christian, and he wrote to me and said, how do I do this? This is so difficult. I am surrounded all the time by reminders of my past life, by people who think that I'm going crazy, and not just by people, but everything is against me. Do I have to just go to church all the time? Do I have to be in church every day? Do I have to remove myself from the world? And Jesus gives us the answer to that. He says, no, you don't remove yourself from the world. You're in the world, but you're not of it. And the only way to avoid that is not to think. You don't listen to this, and you don't say, okay, I've listened to this up to this point. Right, now I'm not going to have any cravings. Now I'm not going to boast. Now I'm not going to lust and be superficial in terms of what I'm seeking. 
because you'll never ever get there. You're a bit like, going back to the fasting analogy, if you're fasting and you're thinking, okay, I'm not going to eat food, I'm not going to eat food, and all your time you're thinking about food, you are really, you're not going to last. What happens is you have to get beyond that. And here he says, he tells us how we get beyond it. It's the love of the Father that stops us loving the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These things come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You try to stop loving the world without, on the negative side, without positively loving the Father, and you'll not be able to do it. I think that um, the temptation of Jesus is a great example of that. All these three things were applied to. Jesus was hungry. He was shown the kingdoms of this world. He was appealed to in terms of status when he was being tempted in the wilderness. But it, is, it was his relationship with God the Father that enables him to overcome that temptation. So what is the love of the Father? It's, first of all, the love we have for the Father. It, it, it means two things, but firstly, it means the love we have for God the Father. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in Him. How do we know that we love God? By doing His will. He's already said that. I love God, but I don't like what He tells me to do, some people will say. But that's not the love of the Father. Sometimes we get a wrong attitude in terms of worldliness because we say, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? Maybe the better question would be to ask, what is right with it? What pleases God with this? What gives God pleasure out of what I am doing? How does love for God show itself in how we behave and what we do? I think that it's a love the love of God, the love of the Father, the love that we have for the Father is when we honestly can say, Lord, I delight to do your will. I want to do your will. But I think the primary reason here is the love that the Father has for us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we love the world, that's a failure to love God. It's a failure to grasp hold of how much God loves us as well. Why would you love the world? Why would you go with what the world offers, which is temporary, deluded, superficial, when… why would you do that? The only reason that you would, you would do that, surely, is because we haven't grasped the love that the Father has for us, how deep the Father's love is for us. The failure to grasp how much God loves us then becomes something which causes us to love the world, and it becomes something which means that we don't love the Lord's people, and so on. And that's why it's essential in order to avoid worldliness that you don't get a tick list of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, but you get a, 
a checklist of what God the Father has done for us. So, classic example would be, um, well, I want to avoid worldliness, so I've got to be a really good Christian, so I'm going to have to go to church, and I think I'll go to church twice on Sunday, and that will make me really holy. If you think of it like that, or you say, I'm going to read the Bible, or I'm going to pray, or I'm going to help the poor, because it will make me really holy. If you think of it in those terms, you're going to really, really struggle in your Christian life. But what if it was something different? What if you so loved God, what if you became so aware of what God had done for you that your attitude was not, okay, I have to go to church twice so that I will get a blessing, or I have to pray this amount of time so that I will get a blessing. But what if your attitude was just simply, it's incredible what God has done for me, just so incredible, and I just want to find out more. I want to hear more. I want to understand more. I want to know more. For me, um, how are the, what's the way to describe this? It's the difference between last night, uh, myself and Annabelle, we had a lovely meal. We were invited out for, uh, to Callum and Anne's. It was lovely. We had a lovely meal there. And you can think, when you go out to a friend's, you can say, okay, well, we'll go. Uh, haven't been for a while. Uh, you know, just you can go for lots and lots of different reasons, maybe even out of a sense of duty. But if you go because you, the food's fabulous, yes, but the company and so on, you just like being with people. It's just, it, it, it's just so different. And here what John is saying is he's saying, don't love the world or anything in the world. But he's not saying, don't love the world, it's such a bad thing. He's saying, don't love the world, because if you contrast it with the love of the Father, it's pathetic. It really is pathetic. Why are you holding on to this rubbish when you can have something that is so more wonderful and so more important? So he's saying, we trust Jesus. Our salvation is certain. We are free to break free from love of the world by loving the Father. Jesus says, there's no point in driving out one demon if seven demons come back in. Jonathan uh, Edwards speaks of the expulsive power of a new affection. And what he means by that is, as you go to love God more and more, there's just no room in your life, and there's no room in your heart for all these things. You don't love the world because you love the Father so much. Now, I think that when we come uh, in a moment to sit and to uh, take communion together, what we are doing is we are not sitting and saying, I've been a really good person and I haven't loved the world too much. What we are doing is we're saying, I see what Jesus has done. I love what God has done for me. And that's where I belong. I I'm amazed at what the Lord has done. And I think that if you grasp that and if you get that, it just makes an enormous difference. There are two loves. You can love the world in rebellion against God, or you can love Jesus Christ, love the Father, the Son, and the Spirit because of what they have done. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Romans 5 talks about how He pours out 
His love into our hearts. And it's my prayer that each one of us would know and would grasp and would have some understanding of what that love is. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians, I pray, I pray that you would know the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God. A love that's beyond knowledge, a love that's so extraordinary. And when we take communion, when we break the bread and we drink the wine, these are just the symbols of God's love for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Bless it to us. Help us as we uh, celebrate together to communion. Help us to understand Your love for us. Oh, Lord, forgive us when we have lost sight of You, when we've grown cold, when our minds have been overwhelmed by other things, when the love of the world has pushed out our love for You, and we don't see our love for You. Pray, Lord, that You would renew us in love for You, and that You would help us in every part of uh, our desire, every part of our lives, just to know who You are. Be with us and strengthen us as we sit at Your table. In Your name, amen.